Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. Um, today we'll be talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Uh, I'm going to start off with our characters and then Marissa will do our plot. So our main character is Addie LaRue. In 1714, she makes a deal with a god that she at first refers to as the darkness and later gives him the name Luke or Luce. She tells him she wants to live and he grants her this wish by making her immortal and for, um, and but also forgettable. She can meet someone 10 times and each time it's like they've never met. Additionally, she finds that she can't make a physical mark on anything. For example, if she draws, it disappears in a few seconds. For over 300 years, she has been cursed to live like this with only the occasional company from Luke. Henry is our main male lead. He's around 29 and is kind of unmoored. He's been working in a bookshop while his friends Faye and Robbie work towards careers. He is very sensitive. He falls in love quickly, but the relationships don't last and he finds himself devastated each time. He seems to have a history with depression or some sort of mood disorder. He meets Addie after he also makes a terrible deal with Luke. Then we have Luke or Luce, um, also known as the darkness. He is an entity or God that deals in souls. Many of his deals appear to be with artists, including musicians and painters. And after around 300 plus years, he has developed feelings for Addie in his own way. In terms of location, this books take, the book takes place in New York and various European countries between the years of 1698 and 2015. Okay. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell this plot like Sophia Petrillo from uh, the Golden Girls. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Picture it. France, 1714. You've been living a mediocre life when suddenly your opportunity for more is taken from you because you've been told you're getting married to a local widower with three children. What's a girl to do? If you're Addie LaRue, you run into the forest and make a deal with the dark God. You promise your soul to them in exchange for a life where you aren't accountable to anyone, where you can be and do whatever you want. However, making deals with dark gods is a sketchy business, and Addie discovers the consequences for immortality. She spends 300 years never aging, experiencing glorious and terrible and beautiful and heartbreaking things. However, she is cursed to be forgotten by everyone around her as soon as she leaves their sight. She spends 300 years haunted by her dark god, who she calls Luke, hating him and missing him, hoping that he'll set her free and being taunted by him and his games. His desire to possess not only her soul, but her as well. But things change when one day she steals a book and someone remembers her. Addie discovers a man named Henry who sees her, remembers her, and eventually comes to know her. But... Addie isn't the only one capable of making deals with dark gods. And as she grows closer to Henry, their time becomes shorter. Spoilers abound. 
So this was my second read. I read this in like, I read this last year, probably around October, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was probably my favorite read uh, that I read in 2022. Yeah. I adore this book. What about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. This was my first read. This book was so popular. I don't, there's something in my brain that's wrong with popular things. It's like, if everyone likes it, I just assume that I'm not going to or something. I don't know. So this book was really popular and everyone was talking about it. And I was like, pa. <laughs> and then you read it and really liked it. And I was like, okay, I guess it's good. <laughs> <laughs> So I decided I could read it. <laughs> and I really liked it. You know, it's a good thing that um, A Court of Thor Thorns and Roses was something that we read before. It got really, really popular. Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know now. Like, would I have read it? I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I love this book, too. It was written so beautifully. The style reminds me of Erin Morgenstern a little bit, just the way that she puts words together could be absolute nonsense. And my brain would still be like, yes, it's yummy. Give us more. It's so nice and pretty to read. Yes, I I agree. I, I absolutely love this book. And actually, I, I have so many notes and so many things highlighted in this book. Like I used to want to be an English major and somehow do like English as a career. I don't remember what my plan was. Maybe it was journalism or something. And this reminded me of like why I wanted to do that. Yeah. But then we started reading books that I didn't like and they were all so serious. And this was serious too, obviously. But I felt like so much of it was like just really depressing murder, rape, all this stuff. And I stopped liking it. So I yeah. moved away from it. And books like this just remind me of why I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the very distinctive things about this book is that the author goes back and forth between timelines, mm -hmm. which isn't typically my favorite thing to do with books, but I, I enjoyed it in this sense. It really I've, builds everything up. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Did we read another book kind of like this recently where they, oh... Uh, yes, we did. The Book of Asriel, where we have time jumps. Mm -hmm. Liam is kind of going back and forth in um, time. And uh, that yes, there we go. Okay, so I really enjoyed the time jumps. Um, they don't typically bother me, but I really love the way that they're used, like in this story and in how they were used in the Book of Asriel, to give the history of the character without it feeling like you're reading a history book, right? Mm -hmm. So it sets up all the character development for Addie and her relationship with Luke and the things that she experienced to get to where she is in the present and her relationship with Henry, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Me too, because we even get, so we have Addie going back in time, right? And hers span for centuries. She's 328, right? Something yeah. like that. And, but we also have Henry a little bit going back in time too. I think the furthest we go back with him is like 2013. But I like that we got that for both of the characters. I really liked, so sometimes this doesn't happen for me in other books, but we got to meet Henry 
before he meets Addie for like a significant amount of time mm-hmm. too. Like it, there's a while, and sometimes sometimes I'm just like I want them to meet, just meet already, right? Yeah. But in this book, it was really nice to get to learn Henry and find out more about him mm-hmm. before Addie, so he's not defined by his relationship with Addie. We have all this other history and backstory to him that really built it up in a way that benefited their relationship and how it moves forward in the book yeah although i don't think this book can be described as happy like at all (laughs) um really so the whole book is sort of melancholy even when there are these happy moments so she has some happy moments with lovers that she picks up right she has these moments with them that stay with her and then in contrast to that the next morning comes and they don't remember her and it's terrible you know she spent this night with them she got to know them and who knows how many time how many nights she's really spent with them she's built up her own relationship with them in a way and they don't have any of that And then even when she meets Henry and he remembers her, that's fantastic. She's euphoric, all of that. But he has his own deal going on, right? And we become aware of that pretty quickly, like right at their first date. Mark, I think, is when we become aware that there's something happening here with him. So their whole relationship, too, sort of has cloud over it where there's the ending come the ending's coming something bad is going to happen so there's no real happiness ever in this book i felt like everything was kind of all of this sort of muted in a way i don't entirely agree with that just because i i think um in terms of like happiness I don't know. I just think in terms of happiness, we, we confuse or like that gets meddled with maybe like joy. And so a lot of times we think of happiness as like really fleeting moments, right? So like you can have a joyful living experience, um, and experience terrible things at the same time. And so I think, and even like happiness, like their emotions and feelings don't have to be like one or the other binary or not. Like you can be They can be having happy like experiences, joyful experiences with each other while also acknowledging um, they're especially with Henry that he's working on a shortened timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think he finds happiness with Addie and I think she finds happiness with him. And that's contrasted against like the seriousness of the rest of their situation. So I wouldn't say like the tone of the story is a happy story, right? Mm -hmm. But I think they have happy moments. Yeah, they definitely have happy moments. But I do feel that overall, like, yeah, like you said, the tone of the book is, isn't joyous. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Addie has these great experiences with historical figures that I mean may not have been historical if she hadn't shown up but and we read about them mm-hmm. and she's happy in them she has great time especially with I think it was the one where she was pretending to be a boy and he found out was that Remy 
Yes. Yes, Remy. And that's why that one was so heartbreaking, too, the way that ended was because she did just have this great time with him. She was happy. They spent the night together. I think they spent a whole lot day together, too. They had a picnic, all of this stuff. He was so happy. Everything was great. And then he wakes up, doesn't remember her. And when she goes to leave, he pays her. Yeah. And that was just so painful for her. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way that she uses the fleeting or small impact that she can have on people to shape history, to shape art, to shape music, to shape the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Her, um, I don't even know how we would describe her relationship with Luke. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know what words you would put to that because boyfriend doesn't really work. Or lover. I mean, I don't know. Um, but part of her deal with Luke is she'll be forgotten. Nobody will ever remember her. And she finds ways to work around the terms of the deal that he made to show up, even though people don't remember her after they look away from her. They remember maybe the feelings that she evoked in, in them. And she repeatedly shows up with some people and that manifests in music. It manifests in several different art pieces throughout the 300 years that she is alive. Um, So it's really interesting the way that she, I don't know, to me, it's just like her giving Luke the middle finger. Like you said, no one would remember me, but I'm still here. Yes. There's this line about ideas. I don't. I don't remember if it's if I put it in here or not, but there's this one line about ideas and how that's a way you can leave things behind as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, like ideas take root. So one we see it like in the I think it's in the one of the 2014 chapters, right, where she spends time with a singer, Toby, and Toby. Thank you, Toby, and she when she leaves his place, you know, he doesn't remember her, but she plays like a melody for him. Right. And this happens over course of course, they have several interactions, I believe. And then later on in the book, she sees him and it's that melody, that song. And he says, it's about, it came to him basically in a dream. And there was this girl. So she is leaving like an imprint, right? Not only is she providing them some source, right? Like mm-hmm. the melody, but there is some sort of imprint there of somehow I got this. It reminds me of this. It was a dream. There was a girl, something like that. I really appreciated this one line that she says as it relates to the people that she spends time with. So there are lots of people, Toby being one of them, Remy being one of them, people that she spends um, time with throughout her history and they're like leaving them as hard. She goes through a lot of the encounters that she runs through with artists and musicians and things like that. And she says, they are Orpheus. She is Eurydice. And every time they turn back, she is ruined. And I really liked that comparison as it relates to the interactions that she has with people, but particularly like any people 
are there everyone is going to forget her but especially with people that she forms like any type of romantic attachment to or just any attachment to because it fits really well the story of Orpheus and Eurydice is tragic it is sad there's he goes to the underworld to rescue her and then ruins it by turning around to see if she's still there and so they turn away from her and she disappears for them and I feel like it just really encompasses the uh, tragedy that is the experiences that she has with other people especially the ones that she wants to be romantically involved with that she would like to form an attachment with and also for reasons that I can't explain Luke reminds me of Hades I don't know why I, I don't know if it's that. like the darkness maybe or well when I first read it before we even really got to learn, he kind of gave me resand vibes just because of the whole shadows thing I think I don't know I don't know like I it, the dark force probably evokes some of that like um I feel like we've read well we have um the Hades and Scarlet St. Clair's Hades and Persephone retelling he uh makes deals with people he gambles with them mm -hmm. and if they lose they go to the underworld or something I think and uh, just the general darkness, I think, kind of vibes with Hades as well. But um, I don't know, like that whole Hades and Persephone retelling is him seeing her and how beautiful she is and stealing her away to the underworld to keep her with him. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of reminds me of like the possession that Luke, this being, feels for Addie because he thinks he love her but loves her but and she talks about this in the story he loves her like she's an object like she's something that he wants and can't have it's a possessive type of love right yes he even makes a point so I believe she says to him you don't know what love is or love isn't supposed to be this way or something along those lines and then he says what do you mean love is selfish love is you know painful or whatever the line is and i think that's just a great example of what you're talking about yeah you know he doesn't really understand he doesn't he like he wants to own her mm -hmm. um and not not in like the the fun romantic way <laughs> yeah not in the like you're mine yeah no <laughs> not in that way in like the I don't like surrender to me which I I don't know their whole their relationship dynamic is really interesting to me because you get the sense that he I mean really enjoys their interactions over time they start out kind of hating each other and definitely she resents him and then it kind of grows and it's almost like he doesn't like he wants to possess her and doesn't want to lose her. But I mean, if you, if she surrenders then the game is over, right? Right. So that's what is interesting. Actually, you have a note about this, about him 
letting her and Henry meet, sort of. Yeah. They have, like, this, I don't know, really unhealthy relationship, right? And for reasons that I don't understand, I really want them to be together. I think I could probably just blame, like, all of the dark and weird romances we've read. But um, it's like they she doesn't want him and he doesn't want her, but they're like each other and they're constants for each other. And so, and that uh, it's like a touchstone that you don't really want, but you can't let go of, which is like a physical manifestation of that is the ring that he gives her. Right. If you want me, you can summon me with this ring. She doesn't want it. And she tries to get rid of it, but it keeps coming back to her. That's their relationship. And it's like, he's forgotten that, Addie was human and she's still only technically human really. Cause she's 300 years old now. Um, and he definitely isn't human, but his understanding of, I don't know, human desire, maybe it's just kind of lacking. And so it's like, he doesn't realize that she still wants to be loved as an autonomous being and not a thing that he wants, but can't have. Mm-hmm. And he introduces Henry to her life because she wants to be seen. So it's almost like there's a sweet, kind intention behind it, right? He says, I brought you Henry because this is what you wanted. You wanted to be seen. You wanted to be loved. But then he says, like, he does it with the intention of showing her that she shouldn't love humans, basically. She should love him instead because their lives are short. Their love is short. They're like all of these, like, and so that's terrible and selfish um he's giving her something that's going to hurt her to try to get her to love him instead i don't know this i don't i have really weird and complicated feelings about them as a couple because like i still wanted them to be together even though it's not a healthy relationship yes I also ship them together, but it made me wonder, and you kind of touched on this too, if, I don't want to say normal people, (laughs) if people who don't read a lot of like enemies to lovers or fantasy monster romance, you know, um, how they feel when they read a book like this, you know, if they also get that vibe of, yeah, get together with the, you know, dark being. Yeah. (laughs) Or if they just see it as you know terrible relationship yeah and then does it come through as like the i can change him type of vibe like well he's changed so much in the last 300 years maybe she can love him into being a compassionate uh-huh. being. oh yeah i can she fix can. him <laughs> i have notes about that <laughs> okay so because i very much am the whole i can fix him person when it comes to these books so when i see like hints of it i get excited so there's one point where he's sweet to her and she's like putting on makeup or something and he says i would rather see clouds blot out the stars and all mm-hmm. right and then he doesn't endorse world war ii yeah <laughs> or war in general so what a stand-up guy <laughs> I mean, for a dark god, right? Right? Anyway. I think his motivations are selfish. <laughs> I agree. 
Um, sure. And yeah. I, I wish we had a little bit of insight to his mind because Addie, or the author, describes their first kiss like this. He kisses her like someone tasting poison, cautious, questioning, and almost afraid. So, I mean, I want to know a little bit about his thoughts. I know because I don't know. Maybe this is just projecting. He's like careful. Like he, it's like he can realize the impact that she can have on him. Like he has the potential to be hurt as well. She mm-hmm. hurts his feelings a few times. It's not like he's a callous, emotionless being. She, right. and she talks about how his eyes will change colors in response to um, the things that she's saying. She, she hurts him a few times intentionally. And he is upset. And I think it's interesting because he intentionally hurts her mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, Addie, don't you know? That's just the way things go. It's like it sucks when it happens back, doesn't it? Yes. Uh-huh. I I found it interesting that his whole thing is make her surrender, make her give up her soul, right? And he kind of becomes a safe place for her, though, mm-hmm. because he's the only one who remembers her. Right. So at one point she goes, all she knows is that she's tired and he is the place she wants to rest. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, he wants her to surrender to him and he can do that by making her miserable. Mm -hmm. Right. But he's also there providing comfort in a way as well. Yeah. It's interesting. He asks her near the end of the book if she missed him. Mm-hmm. she has this whole inner dialogue but what she says is of course i missed you of course she missed him mm-hmm. he's the only like he's been the only constant for the last 300 years the only person that remembers her but they also have like a complicated like past history as well like he told her that he loved her and probably felt i don't know the closest thing to love that a creature like this could for another person um and i don't it's like it's like that person that you dated that was bad for you because they just couldn't get it together and be non-dysfunctional. And so you move on and you're not together anymore, but your heart still kind of remembers them, right? And you find new relationships and you interact with new people, but they still come around and your heart is like, but wait, can they pull it together now? Mm-hmm. So Addie's goal at the end of the book is she says that she will ruin him and the idea of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she can. Yeah. Because he has this is the first time he's had feelings like this, right? So he spent a long time building up to those feelings with her. And on top of that, if he gets mad at her or things aren't going well, he could just leave for 30 years until she's desperate for somebody who remembers her again. Yeah. And then come back. Um, or I don't know what her plan is exactly, but it's got to be hard to all the time kind of be plotting something. And I don't know if she's planning to be mean to him, to nag him or whatever, but that's not who Addie is to be that constantly. So I also yeah. don't know if she'd be able to keep that up for that long. 
either because it would take a very long time I think to yeah but all she has is time and maybe that's what she's banking on just the expansiveness of time being the thing that wears him down right Mm -hmm. because she's immortal and he's not even a thing like Mm -hmm. a being all they have is time I wonder what would have happened if she never gave him a name because I know you know it humanizes him right while giving somebody a name it's kind of hard not to give him a name though because he appears as a person right that's not what he is so how do you interact with that with that i do like when she calls him the darkness for so long i thought that's such an apt description the darkness it is literally what he is and where he lives Mm -hmm. and there's times where he's talking to her in her head or she hears him but is it is it one of those things where it's like this is what this person would say to me or is he actually there mm-hmm. in a way? Like, I don't know. Because he says he's always around her. He's seen everything because mm-hmm. he's darkness. So is he actually somehow kind of in her head saying these things? Or is this just what she imagines he would say? Yeah. I don't know. I noticed the author has several themes that run through this book. One of them being nature and weather. So she uses weather to show mood a lot or to describe mood, like somebody's mood, right? Mm. Henry has some sort of mood disorder and he describes it as being stormy days. So it comes there. And then nature and stone, especially throughout the book. So there's a lot of talk about trees and having roots Addie says she'd rather be a tree. I think Estelle says she, which she got from Estelle. And then the stone shows up constantly. So it shows up through Estelle. It shows up through Luke as well, saying, oh, even stones erode, even this will happen. And then at the end, Addie says, but she has not. So she's not a stone, even though she's been compared to one. Yeah. I like these themes that she weaves throughout these books. Throughout this book. I think that, I mean, I think it's interesting, especially because Henry's moods correlate to, like, he sees them as storms. Mm-hmm. So intensely so that there are times when he's like, oh, it's it is actually raining. It is not just like a storm in my mind there's like a physical storm actually occurring Mm -hmm. like that's how strongly those feelings manifest in him henry's struggles with mental illness were very hard to read Mm -hmm. and his desire to be loved and accepted so much so that he makes a deal with luke was i mean it was just hard it was hard it came at just such a point in his life. You know, Luke, of course, just shows up just at that right time Yeah, to take advantage. And it's interesting because he wants that acceptance and to be enough because that's what he specifically talks about, not being enough. Mm-hmm. 
for people just being almost there so that's his deal with luke is that he wants to be enough he wants basically everybody to like him sort of thing and he's only given a year for that right after a year um he's gonna take his soul but again one of the downsides happens is that the people that he talks to their eyes are kind of foggy and so they're not seeing him like so he himself is not enough they're seeing what they want to be enough in him so he says he meets somebody random and he says well what do you like about me and they said oh you're funny and smart and he's how do you know that we've known each other for 20 minutes yeah um so yeah i think his friend b makes a really good point too when he's so he's talking about um being loved by other people or just love and she makes a point to say that it's not love if there's not a choice right and that's mm-hmm. the thing about his curse people aren't given a choice they love him because they can see him until he meets Addie. she's the first person that he's found who actually has a choice in loving him and in choosing him mm-hmm. i know he has such big feelings mm-hmm. you know he reminds me of highly sensitive people and feel yeah. everything all the time yeah and your feelings are always big mm-hmm which, I mean, when you compare that with the way that his family interacts him, it just uh, highlights that we don't know what to do with people and their feelings. Mm-hmm. I, I liked Henry a lot. I found him somewhat relatable. I did, too. <laughs> I did, too. Regarding her themes with nature that she mentioned, that you mentioned, I like how um, Addie's observations of change relate a lot of times to, like, actual nature so um the way that when she goes back to her village it has grown um but the way that uh, nature has encroached on her friend estelle's house so each time she goes back it's been consumed a little bit more by the woods around it mm-hmm. the way that she uses a tree she goes and finds a tree and plants it over estelle's grave because she wanted to be buried under a tree and the way that it grows and grows and grows and gets huge. And then she goes back 200 years later and it's gone. And she's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And Luke shows up in that moment and is a pot- he's, he's comforting to her. And she accuses him of, or she asks if he's the one that destroyed it. And he says something about how nature is, can be uh, crueler than him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the inevitable happens her right. town it was impossible for it to say her home you know the way it was as she remembered it so we get to see Addie from a child like as she was a child as she grows which I enjoy there's this moment where so she goes with her father to the market i guess a lot right um and then one year her mother stops her and she mentions that she feels like she's being punished for growing up right and she says that she understands but doesn't understand and i think a lot of people feel that way as we grow up we you know we have to act differently the older we get and some of it is just you naturally change like that you become more mature but there's um 
always sort of like a loss of innocence with it that we've all gone through as well. Mm-hmm. So that her saying she understands and still doesn't understand at all. And her parents are interesting. I guess her parents are pretty typical characters for the time. Right. Yeah. Um, Her mom just wants her to marry. Like, please be normal and like dresses and stuff. But um, one of the things that she's called is a dreamer. Right. So there's this interesting line where it says a dreamer scorns her mother, warns her father, warns Estelle. Right. They're all saying, oh, a dreamer. And they're looking at it from different views. Right. Her mother think thinks it's a bad thing her father is sad about it right um and estelle is cautious about it mm-hmm. and then i think the line ends something about like and she, it and then she woke up wait hold on let me find it oh still it does not seem such a bad word until adeline wakes up i feel like we especially in our fantasy novels run across streamers quite a bit right mm-hmm yeah and in fantasy i mean anything could happen right yeah being a dreamer in 1714 france can look i would imagine a little bit limiting especially for a female Mm -hmm. because there are all of these gender expectations and roles that she's meant to feel like getting married and taking care of children and having a house and doing the things and she wants to explore and that's part of what drives her to make a deal she doesn't want to marry i think his name is roger or george or something i can't remember his name Mm -hmm. the guy whose wife died in childbirth she doesn't want to marry him she doesn't want to take care of his kids she wants to go and do and not be accountable to another person especially when she's not choosing them mm-hmm. and i i feel like parts of that are really relatable especially like i don't know i live in a small town and grew up in a small town and so i think our world is so big and there are parts of me that want to go and do and explore and not I don't have the drive to get married or to have children but I think our world is kind of scary and so there's the fear that comes with like okay I want to go and do these things but I also don't want to be human trafficked or (laughs) (laughs) um and so I feel like part of that is relatable as well but doesn't make me want to make a deal with the dark god but I don't know i feel like her struggle is a relatable one mm-hmm. to be I, a dreamer but also to be kind of scared yeah that's very yeah i think that's very common especially when you pretty much have to do it by yourself yeah right you gotta go do it by yourself and that's scary i really like the stealth character i me mean too. she just reminds me of like a grumpy type i mean like a stuff like um sophia petrillo <laughs> like I don't know um the way and uh, the way that they talk about the introduction of Christianity to their village I don't I mean what a trip right one of the reasons I like Estelle is right she 
says gods are found in nature and i really like that because there's something magical about nature but in this book and in her small town we see christianity kind of encroach in and now religion has doors now religion has sermons and it has oppression pretty much (laughs) i mean there's already some oppression but you know i think estelle is a good juxtaposition of the old ways right the old ways these old gods the way pagans used to celebrate this connection to nature and now versus christianity the oppression that can come with it and what happens i'm just kind of with organized religion in general we see a little bit later in the book adele um not adele wow (laughs) addy tries to find like shelter in a church and she gets turned away and she thinks of estelle saying something along the lines of only the new gods have locks yeah right and i thought that was really powerful because we do we see this religion is supposed to be open and welcoming and it gets kind of warped along the way mm-hmm. Addie's first experiences are pretty rough like the first probably 50 years it sounds like of her existence a lot of hard things that she experiences starting with i mean just being able to steal being homeless having no clothes no food um turning to sex work Mm -hmm. just to be able to afford food right yep and i think that i mean that mixed with her family like her basically ceasing to exist in her family's memory it's like she's been wiped entirely from their history a combination of the hard life that she has to live plus the heartbreak of knowing you don't exist to your loved ones anymore. If I were in the same position, I don't know that I would have it. I don't know that I would be able to keep going. (laughs) She wakes up in a pile of dead bodies one night and has to crawl her way out. And I just, I, I feel like somewhere along the way, I might've been like, you know what? This sucks. I'm good actually. I don't I don't need to live in Fran- in Paris like I'll just I'll just give you my soul and be at peace. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine how awful it would be to be completely forgotten by your parents especially. Mm-hmm. You know. Um but I wonder it makes me wonder if it got easier when they stopped being like when they died yeah you know because there stopped being that chance of them remembering her or her forming any sort of relationship with them yeah i don't i don't know i don't think it'd be any easier but i don't know i don't know I don't know. I also think it's interesting that she spends so much time in France. Like she doesn't leave for a long time Mm -hmm. after she becomes immortal. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and she keeps coming back to France as well because it's her home, right? Even though her village change changes, she makes pilgrimages every 50 or 100 years or so back mm -hmm. to France, uh, back to her village, back to Paris. She's there for the revolution. Mm -hmm. She's there for the occupation in World War II. Mm -hmm. She goes back to see the Eiffel Tower being built. It may not be where like people remember her, but it's still where she was raised and it's still her home. And again, it's kind of like, it's like a, a touchstone in her past. Yeah. I think probably one of the most terrible things about this is all the travel you'd have to do, right? Yeah. Like, that would be terrible, especially in her time. Like, she has to get a, a boat. She has to get on a boat to come to the U.S., right? Yeah. Oh, that sounds terrible. That just sounds terrible. So... There are a couple times when Luke just kind of jumps her around for her. And I think one of them is during the French Revolution. He takes her to the UK, I think. Right. Um, and I was just wondering, I was like, I wonder, I was wondering if that's his way of protecting her. Because didn't he do it again in World War II? He took her somewhere safe. Yeah. They, uh, let's see. He showed up during the French Revolution and I think took her to Italy, maybe. Mm, yes, yes. Italy, yes. Yes. And then the like right before World War One started, he was like, uh, there's a war coming. You should probably go. She's right. like, nah. <laughs> then she changes her mind and goes to America like a week later. And then in World War Two, he rescues her again after she's been captured in occupied France mm -hmm. um, she was a spy which is so badass um, but he rescues her again and I forget where he takes her this time at some point she ends up in Boston yeah you know I don't think he took her there but I don't remember where she went I can't remember where yeah. she ended up uh, that one might have been Boston actually I can't remember um yeah if I, I don't, again, like their relationship is just so. Ah. So she has a ring, so she can basically summon him whenever she wants. I would be like putting on that ring, be like, "Take me to Italy, <laughs> take me back to the U.S." I do not like traveling. He would not. That would. I'm sure he would not do that. No, that that's not how that works. <laughs> he picks her up sometimes and just like, leaves her places, right? No. Like, uh. I, just, I would just invite him to hang out uh, or something with the hopes that he'd take me to a new place and leave me there for <laughs> me to explore. No. Mm. I don't think he'd be cool enough to do that. I think he would be annoyed by things like that. <laughs> I do like, and I think it's interesting, the way that they run into each other in like bars. Like she thinks that... Um, she runs into him in a in the twenties in a speakeasy, right? Mm -hmm. And she's got this vibe that it's like very familiar. It's like a really interesting place, and she gets a drink that she didn't order, and it's it's Luke's. It's his like bar, which I think is 
interesting because he's got them like in New Orleans. He's got them in other places. That's where they run into like Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's almost like, I mean, she says that her job is a talent scout, but it's really like his job is talent scout. He's finding these people with all of these potential and making a deal with them. Like, Hey, yeah. He focuses on artists, singers, uh, Beethoven, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I think some Wagner. uh, Yeah. Wagner. Yeah. All of yeah. Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. He focuses on artists, which artists tend to be dreamers so i like does he have a theme himself like is that just like i like making deals with artists the most you know yeah i wonder yeah oh in that same scene that you're talking about she has this thought about whether or not they just know each other for so long that they just are pulled into each other's gravity and are orbiting each other Mm -hmm. right I love that. And then she says something about them being destined. I wonder if they are kind of destined to be together. Not in the sense that she was born and this was destined, but that they Luke kind of made it happen. Yeah. You know? That this ended up kind of being how else could this end? Right? Mm -hmm. Because she's really stubborn. He's Mm -hmm. really stubborn. So where, where does this end? And also, he's made himself to be something that she desires the way that he looks is because that's what she dreamed yes she talks about how well they fit together and it's because he's designed to be that right Mm -hmm. and so maybe with enough time he'll evolve into a being that she wants to be with you brought up the fitting together sort of thing how they fit together so they're the first time Addie and Henry have sex she says this they do not fit together perfectly he was not made for her the way Luke was but this is better because he is real and kind and human and he remembers Mm -hmm. and I like the idea that she's choosing him and is appreciating him more you know despite it not being a perfect fit because we we talked about several times right choice in this book it seems to be important right and so she has the choice for this he needs somebody who's going to see him for himself right which i think is reflected here as well and i like that she's able to enjoy him and appreciate him even more for not fitting because it's real that's what real life is you don't fit perfectly with anyone Right. Well, and I think it highlights something that, I mean, I I don't want to make a generalization and say that everybody wants this, but I feel like most people desire someone in their life who really sees them. We want to be seen and known and accepted for who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think they can both be that for each other. Addie and that she like can literally be seen, right? And known and remembered. Um, But Henry also in like being seen for who he is and still loved Mm -hmm. and accepted. And I mean, same for Addie too. It's just like a big part of what her she wants is like literally just to be seen by people and remembered. Mm -hmm. And so I, I find that like a very 
relatable part of their relationship too. Addie really struggles. I think anyone would struggle um, with not being able to leave any sort of mark, right? She can't write. She spills ink at one point. The ink just goes away. So there's no trace of her, right? Mm -hmm. Other than now we see her in some art and stuff like that, that she's sort of amused to some people and inspired her. But I found this really interesting that that's what ended up happening to her, right? That she ended up not being able to leave a mark because when we go back to one of the earlier chapters and she's going with her father to the market she gets a journal and what excites her about it is that the pages are blank and she gets to fill them in with whatever she wants right so she gets to leave a mark in there mm-hmm. and then she meets luke luke is ha now you can't leave any marks and i wonder how much he knows about her even going into that did he know that like i mean obviously it's kind of something that everybody would struggle with not being remembered but i wonder if he also knew that sort of a blank canvas inspired her because it's something that she could make you know endless possibilities and she could leave her mark on it yeah well and if you think like how significant that becomes when she does meet henry and she can leave her mark through him Mm-hmm. because he can remember her he can tell her stories and then ends up turning it into a book mm-hmm. after she basically sacrifices herself for him to luke mm-hmm. he coins the invisible life of addy larue and she says oh what does she say she says she makes a comment about how um he needs to show people who he really is and find people who will love him, right? Mm-hmm. She says, I need you to remember. Yes. It's just like the whole, I don't know, last part of this book made me cry a whole lot. But she says, like, thank you for seeing me and for showing me what it's like to be seen and to be loved. Now you get a second chance, but you have to let them see you as you are. You have to find people who see you. And so he writes the book and he, in the dedicate, he makes it all about her too. He doesn't even put his name on the cover. And in the, uh, like the dedication, it says, I remember you. Like she's still, I don't know. Again, to me, this is her uh, just being able to give Luke the middle finger, but she's still able to leave the mark for Henry. Mm-hmm. And now her name is out there. Yeah, like that was a big thing. And names, that actually comes up some in this book too, how names have power, right? Yeah. And for 300 years, she's unable to give anyone her real name, right? She gets close. She goes with by Anne or Anna or Madeline, right? Um, but this is the first time in hundreds of years that her full name is on something permanent you know nobody can take that away i knew like i don't know we got to page like 300 or 400 and nothing terrible had happened and i was thinking okay there's no way this story has a happy ending so something terrible is gonna have to happen and we find out about henry's deal with the his bargain that he made with luke 
where he only has a year to live. And I was just thinking that if you're going to make deals with sketchy gods, you need to have some pretty specific parameters in mind before you do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't bargain away for a year for a year. Uh, just like the last few chapters where Henry's time is winding down. They broke my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I, so the f- first time I read this, I was crying. Yeah. Right. Second read, tearing up very much so, trying to keep myself from crying, right? Um, reading, especially the last couple chapters, Henry's last day, right? Because yeah. she doesn't tell him that she fixed it. Right. right. So he doesn't know until basically the last minute. So he's fighting back all of this panic, you know, for the whole day. And oh my gosh, it's so sad. It His is. thoughts. Ugh. It kills me. Yeah. It just, oh, you know, there he's, they're sitting there at one point and she's telling him stories and running her hands through her hair or his hair. And he thinks about how he doesn't want to get up and break the spell because then time moves forward. Mm-hmm. You know, everything becomes real. And I think I haven't, I think most people have had moments like that too. You know, you just, you want to stay in one, just how things are, but it's mm-hmm. inevitably you can't. And that's, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then he also says he has this whole um line about not being ready he wasn't ready a year ago he wasn't ready now he didn't think anybody he could ever be ready for the darkness and i just his uh, yeah yeah i mean it's just it's really hard it's hard to read he and especially in terms of like the ending of his life yes but also the implications that it has for Addie too, right? Yes. She spent 300 years being forgotten and she's finally found someone who will remember her. Mm-hmm. And they're dying. Yeah. They will die. There's one point where it said, the book says, he whispers her name over and over as if she can save the sound. Bottle it up to use when he is gone. Addie, Addie, Addie. And the book doesn't have a traditional happily ever after right no you know it's happy in the sense that henry gets to live Mm -hmm. less happy in the sense that addie has now bound herself to luke for as long as he wants her there right she she got clever she used different words the natural person with the characters want right would be for addie and henry to stay together yeah and she's giving she's basically sacrificing herself you know, so that he can continue living and knowing that he's going to go on or hopefully he'll go on. He'll still get old, maybe find somebody he loves. He, she gives this whole speech like you were talking about earlier. Oh, it's yeah. just. It's rough. Yeah, it's so rough. It's hard. Well, it's interesting about to me it. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when Luke is talking to Addie about because she has dinner with him to try to convince him to spare Luke or no to spare Henry and Luke is like nah um and she he makes a comment about how she thought she was really clever because she found someone that could remember 
her. He's like, did you not think this was intentional? And he talks about how short Henry's life is, right? He's got a days now at this point to go on. But Luke makes a comment about how, like, would you rather it be 10 years or 30 years? Like there, she's going to keep living, right? Right. And he's going to die eventually. Mm -hmm. Isn't it better for it to end quickly than to keep going? And I think there's just these like pieces of humanity that Luke is not picking up on. Like, if you know that you're not going to live for very long in this situation, what is the point of trying to live a normal life? You either go big or you go home, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to keep going to my job. Which is interesting because Henry does. Yeah. He does. He keeps, he doesn't tell anybody, right? That he only has a year. And obviously, I mean, he couldn't tell his friends, oh yeah, I made a deal with this dude. He, but he could say, you know, I'm sick. I don't have very long to live or something like that. And it's interesting because he mentions he had, I think it was an uncle who had cancer. And once he told his family that he had terminal cancer, they all started acting differently around him. Mm-hmm. Right. So he didn't want that. But, I don't know. Interesting decision. I do think it is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Keep going to your job where you don't get paid very much. And I don't know. He's his like anxiety shows up in different ways though. Right. So he, he keeps going to his job, but they go to a movie that Addie's seen before and Henry gets real antsy and like bails out. He's like, sorry, I can't, I can't. Yeah. I don't know. I, the the things that make him pace basically i think it's interesting obviously time is a huge theme in this book but i found it interesting so addy and henry they both describe time as moving too quickly so addy says this before she gets i want to say turned that's not right before she is cursed right and henry is like this i guess just life or he's reflecting on it so she says like oh tie your boots it's five years later you know you get down the path and all of a sudden it's been two years and isabel has a baby that sort of thing mm-hmm. and when we meet him he's talking about oh blink and you're 24 blink and this happens blink and your friends are doing this so she finds this common the author finds a sort of common ground for them i feel like Addie now you know she's living and time basically doesn't really have meaning at this point for her um so much but it's true in real life time goes so quickly so my sister said one time and i don't know if it's a quote from somewhere else but she said the days are long but the years are short and that's it's true right you think you're at work oh gosh when's this this day is taking forever you know mm-hmm. and then oh crap i've been at this job for a year right. and, uh, you know the days seem so long but all of a sudden the time has passed you by so it sort of to me makes me think about making the most of each day mm-hmm. because if the day is long you use all that time because the year itself is going to go by quickly. I think it's interesting. This story, so she drops like this Easter egg early in the story about the chaotic and terrible thing that happened in New Orleans 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
and just kind of keeps coming back to it as the story progresses. So, you know, like there was a shit show in New Orleans and we're going to get to it eventually. Mm-hmm. And we do. <laughs> and I think this entire scenario pra- plays out in a really interesting way. Because she and Luke spend like 15 years together, it sounds like. It's from like 1970 to 1984, so 14 years. Mm-hmm. But he gives her a key to a house. So she has like a home, like a permanent landing point, right? Which she hasn't been able to have mm-hmm. ever. And she thinks, I know this isn't going to last. Yeah. I know that this is part of the game that he's playing. I know that he's just shifted his tactics. I know this isn't a permanent thing, but it's like she forgets or maybe just gets swallowed by having a life with him and a life with some level of permanence because wouldn't you want that if you've been wandering Mm -hmm. forever and haven't had a place to call your own and a place to leave your things. And then, 14 years later, they have a fight that it sounds like has been building. And he asks her to surrender. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, yes. I remember now. My question is that. So he's asking her to surrender to give up her soul? Yeah. But he just spent all this time with her and says he's in love with her. That confused me. I I don't know I don't know what that is because he talks about uh I, I think it's in this part he talks about like fiddling with the curse a little bit. Mhm. Like surrendering is different from yielding or I mean those are just synonyms, dude. I don't <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if he means something different by asking for her surrender now versus what he meant before when he was asking her to sacrifice herself. I don't know. I know. I, I would have heard him out to see what his the terms of the New Deal would <laughs> were to be. You know? Yeah. Be like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? I understand why she was like, you have spent centuries trying to get me to surrender. You're doing it again. Yeah. Um, But I would be curious as to what his thoughts were. You know? Yeah. Like what he was thinking in terms of modifying the deal. Well, she also mentions, because she's, I mean, pissed off and hurt at this point. She mentioned something and she says she almost thinks he may have changed, changed, but then he like cracks a smile and makes a comment and she's like, no, we're still playing the game. How exhausting. Yeah. I wonder if he's tired of it too. You know, like he's still doing it, but I, I don't know. Is he I mean, gonna get tired of playing that really game? Really want her? her to sacrifice herself? Does he really want her to stop? Because he, like you said, like we've talked about, he thinks that he loves her. So obviously, he's formed some sort of attachment. Do you mm-hmm. really want her to give herself? Like the game will end. Do you really want the game to end? Mm-hmm. She makes a comment at one point about how they're both lonely creatures. They're the same. Mm-hmm. They're constants for each other. And he gets really pissy about it. But later on, he's like, you know what? You might be right. There's this. Henry has a lot of mugs. 
Yeah. And it made me think of you. But also, I thought of you again. So this is an old memory, and I don't remember when it was, but at one point, you had said you wish you could be a student for a living because you're really good at it. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't remember when that was. At some point, you said that. Um, and he says that too. He says that he wish he could spend his whole life learning, going to lectures, uh, haunting different departments, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel that way, but I don't want that anymore just because I'm good at it. If I could mm -hmm. do, like, if I could continue learning and take the achievement out of it. Mm -hmm. Like not do it for grades, just do it for the joy of learning new things. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would definitely still be on board with that. But I, when I said that before, it's probably coming from a place of like, I do well in, like I'm a good student. I do well in school. I score well on tests. I am good at it. And I have realized how detrimental to my mental health having that achievement type of mentality is. Yes. I mean, I think I was still in Arkansas when you said this. Yeah. It was it was a long time. But there's this interesting moment. So at wait, did I already talk about this? Addie runs into Toby when she's with Henry, right? And she has this weird panicky moment. And she runs outside and Henry is like, Do you still have feelings for him? And she doesn't say this, but this like the monologue, I guess or um, in her monologue, it was people talk about carrying torches for old flames, and it's not a full fire, but Addie's hands are full of candles. How is she supposed to set them down or put them out? She has long run out of air. And uh, that, like, breaks my heart for her because she's creating attachments for herself and holding on to them. And she can't, like... How could you not, though? Yeah, no, I know. How could you not? You but it just... Die, yeah. Loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also, like, a complete lack of closure that comes with every, like, relationship that she has, right? Right. Because they forget about her, and she may see them again, but they won't remember her. So it's a continuous introduction, right? Mm -hmm. And never any closure, because she knows they're going to forget. And that's hard. Like, mm -hmm. you would go into every interaction you have with another person acknowledging that mm -hmm. it will feel unfinished every time. Curious. Thought experiment. So, if this happened to you in current day and age, would you steal or would you try to find some way of getting money otherwise? Other ways. I mean, I don't, I would steal. She mm -hmm. can't have a phone. That's I true. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you could do it any other way. Oh no, well my thought was because now there are apps where people will put out it's kinda like Craigslist, I guess, be like, Hey, need somebody to just do my lawn, you know, come over and do my lawn and I'll pay you X amount. Right. But then she is wasting a whole bunch of time when she could just steal. Yeah. But also if you paid someone to do your lawn and they went in the house and came back out and you were just a stranger riding their lawnmower. <laughs> yes, it could. That would be a problem. She could demand, be like, no, you have to chaperone me or something. I don't know. I 
highlighted so much of this book and I think I you know. said you did too yes so <laughs> much of this book so many great things in mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. I really like this quote that Henry says about saying goodbye because I think it reflects well on a point that Addie makes earlier in the book about her relationships with people how they're connected by an ellipsis and not ever a period because there's never an end it's mm-hmm. an ellipsis a continuation not an ending though and so what he says is and this he decides is what a goodbye should be not a period but an ellipsis a statement trailing off until someone is there to pick it up also when i highlighted it's yeah, a good i mean that's a good one yeah um i i really like Addie says a few things that are great, too. So she, about being a woman living in 1700s France, she says, freedom is a pair of trousers and a buttoned coat. Mm -hmm. And I think about, I mean, just even the way men versus women dress now, how there is so much emphasis on the things that females put on their bodies. Mm -hmm. And in France, the way that a female in 1700 something, the way that a female in a dress stands out, especially if she's by herself. And how that's still a thing. A woman by herself in a skirt is still a thing. The anonymity that comes with wearing a pair of pants, something that takes away the obviousness of your gender. Um. Okay, so I picked two for the podcast. Um. I have, there is defiance in being a dreamer. We already touched on this, um, you know, dreamer dreams and being a dreamer is weaved throughout this whole book. But I enjoyed the part where it says there's defiance because a lot of times you think of dreamers as being sort of sensitive and stuff like that, but they have their own way of being defiant. And then I have actually like a little conversation between Henry and Addie. Uh, I love you, he says. And Addie wonders if this is love, this gentle thing, if it's meant to be this soft and co- this kind, the difference between heat and warmth, passion and contentment. I love you too, she says. She wants it to be true. And I, I had a lot of thoughts with this one, but... <laughs> The one I'll emphasize is that there are different types of love, right? Between the different people in your life, um, what kind of relationships you have with them, whether it's friendly, familial, um, romantic. And that kind of emphasizes this between, she's I think she's making the comparison between Luke, right? And Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that she's unsure as well, you know? Because she hasn't had time to develop. She's met all of these people, but she's never had time to develop a relationship other than with Luke, right? That um, could result in love. Alrighty. Well, that wraps up The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by Z.E. Schwab. Join us next time for Desire and His Blood by Zoe Draven. You can expect vampire alien romance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.